Good morning, Wellspring Church. It's great to be with you online today. Uh, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to bring you the word. Uh, I remind Wellspring Church every single time I come uh, that, that I am a church planter going back 10 plus years and that our church would not exist without the kindness and the generosity and support of Wellspring Church. God used Pastor Sam and all of you to help us launch a church in San Francisco. And so our roots will forever be with you. Also want to express gratitude to Pastor Sam for his friendship. Uh, even this week, I had the opportunity to spend some time in a distance lunch with him. But uh, Sam is always of great encouragement to me, um, always very challenging to me, just personally, theologically, and everything else. And I cannot imagine ministry uh, without Sam's friendship and connection. And so I am grateful for Wellspring on, on so many different levels. And so my prayer and my hope today is that in our time together in the Gospel of John, is that you would experience God's grace and God's love in the midst of the times that we're in. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to be in the, in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the first chapter. And what we're going to try to do today is really make today just about grace and refreshment and about God meeting us where we're at. It's been a, it's been a heavy five months or so, to say the least, uh, between the lockdown issues and, and racial injustice and, and the murder of George Floyd and so many other things that have come down it has been a time where I feel like all of us have been living on the front lines. And it reminded me uh, in December of last year when we could still go to these things called movie theaters, um, I took my boys and saw a movie called 1917. And it followed the, the story of a man that was at the front lines during that war. And that was one of the most brutal wars of all because of the trench warfare. You had men that were right at the front in trenches, 100 yards from each other, just fighting nonstop. And the British military realized in the midst of that war, that if they didn't get their men off the front lines to be refreshed and to be renewed, then they were going to break. And so however many days you had on the front line, you would get that many days on the back line, back in the rear section. And so if you had three, four days on, you'd have three, four days off. If you had a week on, you'd have a week off. And when you were back in that section, it was a time of refreshment and renewal. You got better food. You could go to some chaplain services. You could go to different lectures. You could play sports. You could just relax and rejuvenate and get yourself ready to go back out there on the front lines. And I think for me, that's how I've been thinking about this season for my church, for myself personally. We have so much to do. There is so much important work in our country, especially for followers of Jesus to do on racial justice, on, on a whole host of other issues. But none of us can make it if we're on the front lines 24-7. We need to renew our hearts with grace. We need to, for all the time we spend being pouring out into others, we need to have God pouring into us. And so today we're going to talk a lot about grace and what it looks like to be refreshed and renewed. And my hope for each and every one of you listening today is that you'll come away from this service feeling a deeper sense of rest and a, and a deeper sense of empowerment and renewal that God will give you through assuring you of who he is and what his identity is or what your identity is in him. You are a dearly loved son or a dearly loved daughter. Or if you're turning in today and you're not sure all about Jesus and who he is, I want you to know you're not tuning in by accident. And God wants to speak to you right where you're at. And you can experience his grace and forgiveness today as well. Please pray with me and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what our experience has been like in the last week or the last months, that no matter how sure we are of our faith in Christ or how new we are to exploring Christ, that you know our hearts better than us. 
and you will preach to us through me, that you will preach to each and every one of our hearts, that you will speak to us in the ways you need to be spoken to. So I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged and you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. And most of all, I pray that you would help us to come away from our time together in your word, loving Jesus more deeply and having a clear idea of how you want us to serve in your kingdom, in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's this theme in the prophets all the way through where the prophets are crying out for justice. They're crying out with hope. They're crying out that God would come and meet them. And all through the prophets, you see that there are people that they think they're the church. They, they think they're believers, right? They think they're followers of God. But God tells them over and over, he's disillusioning them. He's telling them, you're not who you think you are. And the primary ways he's telling them that they are not who they think they are. The primary ways he's disillusioning them is to tell them, one, you're, you're idolatrous. You're turning to other gods and you're worshiping them. But the second way he does, he disillusions them, and the second way he points out that they are not his children is in how they treat the most vulnerable in their midst. For them, it was the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. How they treat the most vulnerable showed how much of the Father's heart they understood for themselves. And so in the hope and the cries of the book of Lamentations and of Nehemiah and of Jeremiah and of Ezra and all the way through, they're crying out that God will bring justice, will bring full flourishing to his people, that, that his love will characterize their community. And then there's a final cry from a final prophet in the book of John or in the gospel of John, and his name is John the Baptist. He is considered to be the final prophet. He's a prototypical Old Testament prophet, and he's witnessing to the coming of Jesus, and he's helping the people to understand that if you want an even more gracious demonstration of God's covenant to love, if you want a more incredible demonstration of God's faithfulness and commitment to his people, if you want the greatest hope you could ever have in the midst of brokenness, if you want the greatest hope for justice you could ever have in the world, it's found in Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to these words of John 1 and think about this. Let who is described here, the personal work of Jesus Christ, let this transform, renew, and change the way you view everything about your life and about your world right now. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. So we have Jesus, who is light and life, breaking into the darkness, not being overcome by anything that's happening. He is on the scene, and he is changing things. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, Jesus' light breaking into the world, light breaking into darkness. And speaking of Jesus, verse 10, he was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. All that believe in him are given the right 
to become children. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, you get forgiveness of your sins, and that's beautiful and it's wonderful. But more significantly, you are adopted into God's family. You are made a child, not born the will of a human being, but born of the will of God himself. Verse 14, speaking of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled in our midst. Jesus came to live in our midst. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. You see all this being said about Jesus? He has incredible power. The world was created through him. He sustains it. He sustains and created absolutely everything. The one coming after him, John the Baptist, ranks before him because he existed for all eternity. This is the Jesus we cry out to. He is not just a philosophical teacher. He is the almighty creator of the universe. And this is a Jesus that came to dwell in our midst. And so he says, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only son who is himself God and is at the father's right hand has revealed him. Jesus is helping us to come into relationship with God himself. So the main idea we're going to talk about today as we work through some of the things in John 1 is, is what would it look like to let grace define your world? What would it look like if you believed that God loved you unconditionally, that God was with you and that God was for you and that God was alongside you? That Jesus Christ, who created the universe, came into this world to dwell in your midst. How would that change you if you're trying to find hope in the midst of hopelessness? How would that change if, if we're looking out and seeing all the darkness in our culture and our community? Could we believe more deeply in a light that can break into that darkness and a light that is indeed already broken into that darkness and begin to transform it? What would it look like to let grace define your world, to have grace be the lens that we looked at God, ourselves, and everyone else through? We look at God and we praise him and we give him grace and or give him, we give him incredible gratitude because he's given us grace, unconditional love. And then we look at everybody else as a child of God, as a broken image bearer that needs Jesus just like us. So we're going to talk this morning about grace for you and then grace through you. How God wants to work his grace so you understand who you are. And then God wants to then work his grace through you so that others can understand. So first, your grace for you. You've been made a child. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. You are a child of God, unconditionally loved. God doesn't love you because of what you do or how you obey him. God loves you because your identity has been transformed and you are now his. There's an image I'll show you here on a slide, um, and it's an image of, of the father's heart for the prodigal son um, in the Gospel of Luke. And this mural was painted by a Spanish nun who has an incredible testimony herself, and she was looking for a way of expressing the unconditional love that God wants us to have. I want you to look at this image for a minute and think about the words that come to mind. Think about this Jesus right here in this moment. Look at that father, that embrace, that love that he has for his child. That is just a small picture, and art can help give us a picture, help give us an imagination of these deep truths we have in Scripture. But man, that's just a small picture of God's unconditional love for you. 
What would it look like if you viewed yourself as that prodigal in the arms of God himself? It's an incredible thing that Jesus gives us an opportunity for. That Jesus would come into our midst and make us a part of his family. Kenyan scholar Samuel Nguega says this, What Jesus revealed about the Father is his grace and truth. This phrase is used twice, and grace is mentioned on its own in verse 16. Grace means something totally undeserved is given freely with no strings attached. All the giver wants in response is gratitude. The gift Jesus gives is the right to become a member of the family of God. And the only response required is to be a grateful member of that family. There could be no question of repaying Jesus for a gift like this. Think about that. I mean, this isn't something God's asking to be repaid for. God wants you just to understand that he loves you unconditionally and you're a part of his family. This always makes me think of a few years back when I was Christmas shopping. I have three sons. They're now 18, 13, and 10. But I remember thinking how, how much of a joy it was to, to have a little bit of money and go out and buy Christmas gifts for my kids. Now, as I'm walking up and down the aisles of the toy store, they were younger then, I'm not thinking, how well did they obey this year? How well did they obey me? And then I buy them gifts based on their obedience. No, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, what will bring joy to the heart of my kid? I mean, if I were to buy my kids gifts based on their obedience, you would rightly call me a, a terrible father. And yet God is the one that loves us unconditionally and perfectly. Why would we ever think that he's going to give the gift of his love and grace to us based upon our own obedience if we don't even dream of treating our own kids that way? As Jesus said, what earthly father, when the child asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or when the child asks for bread, will give him a stone? No, a father wants to give good gifts. How much more does your heavenly father want to give you good gifts? And there's so many more promises in this, in this, in this uh, opening chapter. It says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. I was at a conference a number of years ago called The Future of the Church in a Globalized World. And it was a collection of missionaries and scholars from all over the world. And the question was being asked, what contribution is the church in the global south, in particular on the continent of Africa, what contribution will they make to the church in the next generation? And one of the speakers who was an African was saying that he thinks that actually these new and exciting translations coming out of Africa that give a more full embodiment to the culture um, will be helpful because the culture in Sub-Saharan Africa is much more similar to the culture of the Bible. And so there's deeper insights that are there. One of the insights was this idea that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. It's a Greek idea. And in the Western world, we, we kind of think the word became flesh and it can almost seem like Jesus put on the suit of a human um, and then kind of came among the earth. But in, in African cultures, in the Bantu language groups, there is no word for flesh that doesn't mean carcass. And so in the African translations, what it says is, and the word became a person and lived in our midst. Think about that for a moment, how much deeper and richer of an idea that is. Jesus took upon himself full personhood and he came to live with you. He literally pitched his tent next to your tent and wanted to be a part of your community. He is dwelling in your midst right now. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know it's even, even deeper than that, right? God is in our midst. He's in our hearts. Andreas Kostenberg, one of my favorite uh, translators or commentators, rather, on the Gospel of John, he says the word of Jesus, he took up residence and then he stayed. 
And he says the main point is that God has now chosen to be with his people in a more personal way than ever before. And then it says we've been given grace upon grace. And there's all kinds of different translations and understandings of this. But the primary idea is that God is giving us grace, unconditional love in ways that the Old Testament saints could have only dreamed about. That God is pouring out grace upon grace, like like wave upon wave is coming upon you. God is overwhelming you with his deep and rich grace. That Jesus has come to, to tell the whole story of God the Father and to give you full access to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing in our midst. When we get a hold of that, when we believe that we are unconditionally loved and accepted and we receive that love and that grace from God, it begins to transform the way we look and the way we live. Miroslav Volf, uh, who is an Eastern European scholar, says this, at the heart of every good theology lies not simply a plausible intellectual vision, but more importantly, a compelling account of a way of life. And that theology is therefore best done from within the pursuit of this way of life. You see, what Wolf is getting at is what we're, what we're not trying to do through sermons, what we're not trying to do through Christianity is get everyone to adopt a worldview, get everyone to adopt a philosophical perspective. What God is inviting us into is a deep relationship with him. He's inviting you into a way of life that is marked and defined by grace. He's inviting you into a way of life where light is always breaking into darkness, where, where life is always coming into the midst of lifelessness, where, where hope is always there in the midst of hopelessness, that no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's happening in our world, we can be assured that God is with us and we know that God is good and we know that his love can transform the way we view our circumstances so that nothing can ever happen in my life where I can ever think I'm alone and I'm abandoned. I'm a follower of Jesus. Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I have been made part of God's family. He's brought me into this closest relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all of us. We have been united to Christ, united to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we've been united to every other believer. We are truly never alone. What would it look like for the church to live more like this? To pursue our theology, not just in reading, but to pursue our theology in pursuing a way of life that says, I'm going to unconditionally love you. I'm going to unconditionally love my neighbor. I'm not going to judge the world and judge people in the world, rather, by my culture standards. I'm going to judge them by God's standards. I'm going to say there is no other for me. There is no one I have the right to dehumanize. All there are in the world are broken image bearers that have been redeemed and renewed in Christ. And I'm called to love them in a unique way and broken image bearers that desperately need Christ. And I'm called to share the love of Jesus with them. As Desmond Tutu would say, I cannot diminish you without diminishing myself because our humanity is bound up in each other's. We were created by God to live for him, to live with him, and then to live for and with each other. We can be a transformative impact in this world, but only if we are receiving God's love and grace. And my concern is, in our time at the front lines, in our time of being bombarded by all that's happening, and I spend way too much time reading social media, so I'm guilty of all of this, in this inundation of all this brokenness and hopelessness that's in our world, in this inundation, we can begin to think, man, there, is there really cause for hope? Will my country, will my culture ever change? Will people that claim to, to follow Jesus 
ever start really loving each other unconditionally? Will, will people that claim to be followers of Jesus give up racist ideologies? Will people that claim to be followers of Jesus actually love and care for the poor? Will people that claim to be followers of Jesus actually love and care for me? There's all these questions, and if I'm being bombarded by the negativity, and I'm not stepping away from the front lines, then I, I can't be reminded and refreshed and renewed and be assured that the Jesus that broke into this world that's described in John 1, that broke into my life and broke into your life, is still here alongside of us, ministering grace to our hearts. So secondly, there's grace for us, but there's also grace through us. There's also grace through you. God has invited you to live as a member of his family, and, and, and he's transformed you so that you can then pour out and live into others. But the analogies are always interesting. In John 15, Jesus says, that we have all been, if we're followers of Christ, we are like branches grafted onto a vine. We are branches. If this is the vine that's Jesus, this is our rootstock. This is our power. We are a branch grafted on. All of our power comes up through the root, comes up through the vine, and then out to the branch. If we're disconnected from Jesus, we have no ability to bear fruit because he is our life. He is our hope. He is our all in all. But when we connect to Christ, when we're grafted into this vine, we have the ability to then have all of his power and grace and love flow out and through us. As Jesus also says, it's like streams of living water flowing forth from a heart that's been transformed. And so if we want to have an impact in this world for justice, if we want to have an impact in this world for grace and for truth and all these good and wonderful things, we have to be grafted in. We have to be living out of an identity as children of God, connected to his grace, connected to his love, and living out of this way, then God will begin to use us. Ephesians 4 says that each of us has been given a measure of grace and gifting according to the measure and grace of Christ's gifts. He's given you gifts he wants you to use in this world to love and serve others with. Matthew 25, there's the parable of talents, which is again, he gives us gifts so that we can go and invest them and use them for his good and his glory. And there are things we're all called to do on a personal level. There are things we're all called to do on a family level. There are things we're all called to do as a community of faith. There are things we're called to do in our cities, in our states, and in our world. But if we're looking at these things and just thinking about what needs to be done, and we're not looking about the grace that we learn about here, and we're not being refreshed and renewed, then we can't possibly do what God's calling us to do. We are each called to love and to serve and to go out into our world and to oppose these evil things like racial injustice. We're called to oppose these evil things like people being left in abject poverty and no one caring about them. We're called to go and love and serve the vulnerable. We're called to contend for justice and truth. But the engine that makes all of this possible is the love and the grace of God. If we don't have that engine, we cannot have the impact. But man, when we get a hold of this, when we are operating in that kind of power, boy, what could we do? There's a, a West African scholar named Uchi Enizor, and he wrote a book called Representing Christ. The subtitle is A Vision for the Priesthood of All Believers. And I love the imagery he has here. He says this, this promise is fulfilled through the ministry of Jesus Christ, one whom the gospels depict as a priest and the founder of a priestly family. Think about that image for a moment. Jesus started a priestly family. He's adopted his children into it. What do priests do? They intercede. 
They bring people together with God. They love and they serve and they pour out grace. They receive grace from God and they give grace to others. And so as a priestly family, we go to do what Jesus did. We forgive like he forgives. We love like he loves. We serve like he serves. But we do it with his grace and his power. And we have to always have a hold of that. That's the only thing that gives us the ability to treat others with unmerited favor, with unmerited grace. There's no way we can do it otherwise. Desmond Tutu um, says this, and, and, and the reason I learned so much from Desmond Tutu is his theology was formed and shaped in the middle of the oppressive system of apartheid, the unjust system that did so much damage to so many black South Africans, and he's in the midst of it being oppressed, experiencing it, and so he's forming his theology from a place of oppression and depth and turmoil, and so there's a depth and a richness to it that challenges me every single time I read him. He says this, like humility, generosity comes from seeing that everything we have and everything we accomplish comes from God's grace and God's love for us. Certainly, it is from experiencing this generosity of God and the generosity of those in our life that we learn gratitude and to be generous to others. So once we get a hold of the generosity and the things that God's given us in our lives, then the natural response is for that to result in a generosity to others. That would be we learn gratitude and we learn how to be generous because God's been so generous with us. And so I don't operate my life from a scarcity mentality, closed in thinking, what can I get for myself? But I operate from an abundance mentality. God has given me so much. How is he calling me to love and to serve and to extend his grace as a member of his priestly family? What am I called to do? My encouragement again to each and every one of us today is to get away from the front lines for a minute, maybe take a 24 hour break from social media and the news and whatever else and pray and seek your heavenly father through Jesus and the power of the spirit. Pray and seek God and ask that God would make his grace even more real and deep for you. And then ask that God would help you do all you're called to do. And again, there's tons of the church is called to do right now. But ask that God would help you do that from a foundation of love and peace and grace. That we would say, God has given me the right to become a child of God. That that light that broke into the darkness is with me now. That that grace upon grace is fueling my soul and fueling my life and helping me to live my life out in the way he's called me to live it. And then, and only then, do I believe that God will move in the powerful ways we want to see him move? Imagine what we can do, church, if we were empowered by God's grace, had the eyes of grace to look at others, what would we dream would be possible? Is there anyone in this world that could not be reached or transformed? Is there anyone in this world that I would give myself the right to dehumanize or to dismiss? Is there any political leader that I would give myself the right to dehumanize or dismiss. We need to critique our political leaders, right? We need to go after justice, but we need to do it in a way that recognizes the common humanity and need of every human being so that we would seek to introduce everyone to Jesus and his transformative power. In the months and the years ahead, I'm excited for all that God has for the church in America to do. There's a lot of repentance and a lot of turning away from broken ways um, in the past, uh, from the sins of our ancestors, uh, you know, especially me as, as a white American pastor, there is plenty to look at and plenty to go into and repent of and turn away from. But the only power to do any of that is in and through God's grace. 
And so it's my prayer that we would rest more thoroughly upon God's grace. I want you to think again of that image that that Spanish nun painted on that mural of the father's arms embracing his child. And I want you to feel that embrace today. I want you to feel that unconditional love and that grace today. And then I want you to let that grace give peace and power to your heart and your soul so that you could be like the one Jesus describes, where streams of living water are flowing forth from your heart and from your life to refresh and renew all those that are around you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your grace. We thank you that Christ broke into this world, that light broke into darkness, and that the darkness has not overcome it. We thank you, Lord, that no matter how dark our culture seems, that we know that light is always breaking in, that light is always overcoming the darkness and not the other way around. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to rest deeply in your grace, deeply in your love. Give us a sense of purpose and calm. Empower us and help us to love and serve you and love and serve others. And I pray, Lord, for anyone that's still new to exploring who Jesus is, that you would overwhelm them with a sense of your love, that you would help them to understand that you do not evaluate us on the basis of our performance, but you adopt us on the basis of your love. Help us to live as dearly loved sons and daughters and help us to show that love in a transformative way in our world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.